and welcome to episode 25 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn Thompson Rule, and today I speak with my good friend Emma Kirk Odenubi. Now, originally we had planned an episode to talk about Emma's phenomenal accomplishments in the fitness industry, but we find ourselves with a much more, not much more important topic. Emma's work has been amazing, but there is a very pressing topic right now. It has been very pressing for a long time, but due to the death of George Floyd a week and a half ago, this conversation has been elevated people are talking about it i believe change will happen because of it i am certainly hopeful that change will happen because of it and so that's what we discuss on this episode i believe that we all have a lot to learn myself and emma are both biracial so we we talk about our own experiences growing up what everything feels like now and what we feel may happen in the future and indeed what also that means for the future of the fitness industry. I welcome your questions. I welcome conversation around it. This is absolutely a marathon and not a sprint. Have a listen. Please share your thoughts. Let's talk about this. Conversation is where this starts. Um, Action is how we move it forward. And that's all. I hope you enjoy the show. Emma, how are you, my love? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. How are you? I'm good. Now, originally we had planned to come on here and chat about all of the wonderful work that you do. I feel lucky enough to have certainly watched a part of the amazing work that you do in the fitness industry, which has just been such a dream to watch. As you know, I tell you that all the time, but we do find ourselves in a very different time and space right now in the world. We are still in the middle of a global pandemic with the coronavirus. And then the week before last, George Floyd was murdered. And that has really, we've spoken a little bit before this podcast, uh, before we pressed record, but it feels like his death was hopefully not in vain and that we are really moving towards hopefully a belief system that is anti-racist, against racism. And so it feels like it is only right to talk about that now. We are very much in it, much like the coronavirus, what people's conversations were like at the start of it, to week two, week three, week four, week five, week six. I feel like this will be the same. The conversations that we're having are going to change over the coming weeks. But right now it's it's very, very real, very, very raw. And it's bringing up a lot of old wounds for a lot of people. And it's also opening up the eyes of a lot of people as well. But I do want for you to introduce yourself first, what you do, who you are, and then we'll get going with everything else. Thank you. <laughs> So my name is Emma Kirkhope-Smoothie and I have been in the fitness industry, well, newly into the fitness industry. Um, I quit my old job in January of 2020. Then from that point, I have been kind of a a group exercise instructor. It basically covers it nicely, Um, but I'm a coach at Track Life London. So um, I coach track with a great group of guys and girls. And then I also teach uh, treadmill classes at Third Space. 
I'm also at WIT teaching CrossFit style training. And then I also do growth exercise F45. So I've got my fingers in quite a few pies, but on the side also trying to be um, an online coach for running as well. So a mix of everything. It's very busy. Yes. <laughs> With your fingers in a lot of different pies. I think for me, I, I ended up doing that because I wanted to be fully immersed, as I say, when I when I ended my previous career, which was as a footwear buyer and gate analyst, which I'd done for kind of nigh on 10 years or so. I thought, do you know what, the best way for me to jump into the, the industry of coaching and, and instructing is to just go for everything. So, yeah, before the whole situation of the world is now, I was running around a little bit like a headless chicken. I was enjoying it, though. But yes, it's helped a lot. Yeah. So how did you get into being a footwear specialist? So when I was 13, 14, I was actively down at the track, always been sporty. So I was at the track and the owner of a shop called The Jog Shop, which is based in Bryson, approached me and said, hey, do you fancy a Saturday job? I was like 13, 14, love a little bit of extra pocket money. I was like, sure. So Mm. I then ended up going to work at The Jog Shop, which is one of the first in the country for kind of being an independent specialist for running shoes. And it was there that the owner, Sam, basically told me his ways and showed me how to look at feet and how to look at movement and how that would affect the rest of the body. And we used to do all of it by eye. So every weekend from the age of about 13 till I ended up going to uni, I'd be there in my summer holidays. I'd go and do extra long shifts during the week and just kind of fell in love with it all. And it definitely influenced my, my choice to do sports science with kind of focusing on biomechanics. And then ultimately going on and working at Nike and then falling into, into Profeet, which was a, or is a specialist gate analysis environment, kind of probably one of its kind, really, in terms of the kit and the equipment and the, the science that we used to use behind analyzing people. And yeah, I just kind of fell in love with it, really. And it changed everything. Yeah, amazing. I didn't know that you actually did it from like the age of 30, because when you said like 10 years, I was like, now listen, how old is Emma? <laughs> I have a question myself. I'm like, hang on, <laughs> wait a minute. So that can't be right. And then I look, I'm like, oh Lord, it definitely is. I'll say it again, just watching you grow has just been phenomenal. And I'll I'll see you do stuff and I'm like, yes, there she is. Look at her go. <laughs> and oh. I have this like, yay feeling. Because also we we've had some conversations before where where some career stuff hasn't gone as you would have wanted to, wanted for it to go. And you know, you've had your heart really set on specifically one thing. And I and I remember chatting with you and just yeah, th- this sort of feeling of despair that you had and 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 it just makes watching everything else you've achieved since then just extra sweet because it's it's just like yeah that's fine that that thing didn't work out because look at you now so so good and and I still feel like it's only the beginning for you which is great so oh and I have to thank you definitely for that that was a moment that like yeah you definitely impacted the journey that I've taken because of your your wise words and your guidance Oh, bless you. No, no, all you, all you. I, I blather on sometimes and, you know, sometimes it hits and other times it doesn't. So well, it <laughs> ask my children, hits. it never <laughs> hits. Okay, so let's bring ourselves into present day. We're talking very much about, about racism. We are both mixed race. I am half Irish, half Jamaican, and you are? Half British, half Nigerian. 
And so we've briefly talked about our experiences growing up and they've and they've been pretty similar actually. But let's let's start there. So so what was your experience like, Emma? So I grew up in in the south, so in, in Brighton. My parents divorced when I was four years old. So my dad was Nigerian, my mum British and so a lot of the time with how it ended up going was that I spent a lot of time with my mum and then I spend weekends every so often every so other weekend sorry with my dad so I was predominantly being brought up by my mum my school was also as a primary school was predominantly now I look back and think about it was predominantly white there was probably a handful maybe two three mixed race or black people in the entire school and I think I ended up growing up really not it sounds strange to say not being aware of my race but I knew I was a different skin colour, obviously, but I didn't attribute certain things that took place or that happened because of that. And I don't know if that's because of how I was more brought up by my mum, so I didn't think about that. Or it's an interesting conversation I've kind of had with myself over the last few days as to to why and whether I was aware of that. And and then moving on into secondary school, definitely a little bit more diverse in terms of people of colour, but again, still a minority, I would say. And in terms of the the things that I experienced, I'd say that I was just aware in certain conversations. I had a conversation actually with with a friend of mine about when we learned about slavery in history class. It was very interesting because the way that the teacher explained slavery was that the people, when the black people were put on the ships and taken and looked after as such and then sold by the white man, that that was, if they survived that trip and they survived through that slavery, they were the strongest people. And I looked at that and said, okay, so basically what a white man is trying to say to me is that the strongest black people survived. So that actually, do you know what? The white man is trying to say that he helped the black people who are here in today's society be stronger because they survived slavery. And I never thought, I literally was like, that's what I thought as a kid. And I was just like, okay, fine. So that, that's just how that happened. And I don't think there's any more thought or questioning of that because I was like, okay, cool. That, that's just how that was. And it's only now or yesterday even, that I look back and go, well, that was wrong. And so it totally questioned that whole kind of thing that came out of his mouth. And it should have been something that, yeah, I definitely should have questioned more when I was younger, but whether the conversation wasn't as prevalent 10, 15 years ago, potentially. Um, well, obviously, of course, not the enormity that it has been the last the last week, which is great. I definitely suffered racism when I was at school, when I was growing up. I had had people tie my hair in fences because it was different. I had people calling me names, like from the film Roots, calling me all the different kind of characters, which is a film about slavery, if people don't don't know. Yeah, and it was things that for me, my way of coping was to just brush it off and be like, oh, ha ha, he's calling me that because he wants to have a bit of a joke and that's fine. And as I say, it's only when I look back now and go, oh, wow, he he was actually being racist and I didn't acknowledge that or or realise. So it's, yeah, the last few days has definitely been, um, yeah, a a trying time, I think, dealing with emotions and and things that you didn't realise weren't dealt with. Yeah, definitely made me look back at my childhood and go, yeah, there, there's things there that I just didn't think about. 
in my early years grew up in Dublin and at that time there were no black people there there were no brown people there my dad was the only black person and um, that we knew of and uh, then we were you know mixed race my brother and I and kids used to you know call out names I remember just in my head like it's five and six just being like of course you're jealous of my brown skin like look at your white skin you know what I mean I was just so pleased yeah. with myself because I just I was just like whatever like these these people are idiots you know it just kind of it, it didn't it really didn't bother me because it was almost like even at that age I could just see the ignorance and almost pitied it we moved over to England when I was seven we lived in London and so then all of a sudden there are way more people of color there are different you know religions race you know it was just very different from from Ireland and actually at that time when I first moved over people would actually make fun out of my Irish accent rather than anything else so it was almost like it was refreshing to have have something else (laughs) but I do remember you know when I was a bit older probably in my teens and I remember a friend of mine used to do Irish dancing, lol, for years. And one of the girls at the Irish dancing school um, started started dating a black guy. And I remember her sitting down and talking to my mum about it because her parents were not happy about it and all of that kind of stuff. And then my mum was telling me then about conversations that she was having with the other parents. And they were talking about their sons, you know, Oh well, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that comfortable with them going out with a person of colour, but if it was Jocelyn it would be different. And I remember wow. kind of thinking like that's really insulting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Everybody else that looks like me isn't fine or you know, who has black skin or brown skin or but I'm okay because you know me and so like uh, somehow I'm accepted. Like it was, it was just really, and they were cool with saying that. And I remember just thinking like, that's just so disappointing. But in school, like there was, I remember there was one guy, he himself was mixed race. And yet he said, he used to, you know, call me, oh, you're nothing but a mutt. You're nothing but a mutt, you know. And in my head, I was like, bro, like you are half Irish and half Chinese, like, what are you talking about? Like you are also mixed, but then he was also, um, you know, very racist against people of color. So in his mind, that was just, it didn't include any, any, anyone else, you know, but again, with someone like him, I always used to just feel like, well, that's your ignorance and I'm not wasting my, my energy on you I'm not going to try and educate you like I just I was just like well you're you're just an idiot so I don't have any time for you but you know I think yes I've been called the n-word yes you know I have felt people's racism but it, it it feels like it has never been something that has held me back but that is not the same for so many people and in light of what's happening right now, it does start to bring up questions around, well, is that just how I dealt with it? Or was I just suppressing it because it was accepted? And, and I think that's what feels sort of all-consuming right now because you existed in a certain way for years. And then you start to question that 
and then everyone's talking about it and people are acting on it. It almost feels surreal. And yet at the same time, you're trying to manage all of these emotions at a time when we are also, you know, again, COVID-19, like we're, we're, I don't even know what week we're in that now in terms of, in terms of lockdown. So we have this, you know, level of uncertainty anyway, of when things go back to, in inverted commas, normal. And, you know, people are talking about, you know, next year, because, you know, I'm sending Bjorn to school in two weeks, but he's not going in with 30 of his classmates as it was, knowing when that is going to be the full school all in, parents dropping off, carers dropping off. What's that going to look like? So we're in this mass of uncertainty. And then this, and it's like, oh my gosh, this, this feels like so much. And I'm obsessed with my phone and with social media. And, and I said this to you earlier, reading people's comments around. And I know you, you, you shut down for, you came off for a couple of days, didn't you? Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and why that was? Yeah, so I just, I, I got to a point where I was doing exactly the same as you. I was looking and going, oh, look, I can see this. I've seen that. Here's another video. There's another this. Oh, here's that influencer sharing something that's great. Here's that one not. Still haven't heard from them. And it mm. then kind of got me questioning, even within my own friendship group, like, oh, well, they've said something, but they haven't. Does that mean that mm-hmm. they not don't think about it or don't care about it? And then I just had to take a step back because I was getting an influx of people messaging me and Obviously, with social media, you don't always know those people. And some of those mm. messages were not uh, in a good light, let's say, and not positive, were, were kind of negative and, and also kind of along the lines of what we've been discussing. People questioning that because I was mixed race, that should I have a certain voice? Should I be saying certain things because I'm mixed and because I'm not kind of fully black, because I'm more palatable to the eye because I'm mixed race? And Kind of, yeah, being negative and trying to shoot me down. And I was, I just took time and I was like, you know what? I'm not even sure how I feel, let alone someone else trying to judge me or tell me about how I should feel. So I just had to take, take 24 hours, kind of put my phone away. And the thing is that I I actually really love the, the Instagram social environment. I think it brings people together. And we've seen that through what's gone on in during kind of the coronavirus and through COVID. Like people Mm. have been brought together so much by social, but right at this kind of last 48, 72 hours, it had just become a little bit overwhelming. And I was like, I need to know what I feel and how I feel without Mm. being told or criticized for it before Mm. I then could come back to the platform and and, and try and be educational and and just try and tell people how I feel, really. I think that's all you can do. And I know that I've had people ask me, about my experiences and I haven't shared as much and I think it's mm. it's important and it's taught me that you know what by sharing it educates people so yeah definitely yeah. taking that 24 hours away was a really a good thing for my mental health as, as much as myself mm. Mm. yeah because I was having a, a conversation with a friend and and he was just kind of again he had said he had, he had taken himself off his phone for the day and he was just you know he he, what did he say he said like um if anyone could actually hear or see my thoughts right now like they think I was just like losing the plot you know and he what did he say he said he's you know he's been crying watching Lego Batman and (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it is, it's just kind of like, there's so much feeling and there's so much feeling also of other people's feelings. There's anxiety and there's anger and there's sadness and there's so much triggering as well. And I said to him, like I said, there are all of these feelings that, that I, you know, I usually have some kind of control over. And the two kind of things that are kind of happening concurrently, you know, COVID, no one saw that coming really. Like if you had said to us two weeks before lockdown, oh, by the way, lockdown is happening and you're still going to be in it 11, 12 weeks later, everyone would be like, yeah, what, yeah. you know what I mean? That just kind of, you know, I always refer to the, um, what's that song by Baz Luhrmann, the sunscreen song. And it can be in, you know, every kind of um, verse, he kind of says, you know, don't forget to wear sunscreen. And he says, you know, don't worry, life's too short. And then he says something like, you know, we always worry about these things. And the thing that will really, really hurt you or change your life or whatever is something that's going to, you know, hit you sideways. And a Tuesday afternoon when you're walking down the street and you least expect it. And that's what COVID felt like. You know, exactly. it's kind of like, so okay, are we, are we, is this, yeah, we are here and we are still here. Uh, okay. And now we're, we're in week 10. Here we go. Kind yeah. of, <laughs> you know, we kind of didn't expect to be in. And then here we are in light of everything, you know, or in light of, you know, what happened to George Floyd. And of course he is one of many, 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 many names. I think part of it is the feeling of there has been a, a suppression of, of feelings and just fobbing it off as, oh, you know, they, they, they're they just ignorant or it's generational or, or any of those things. But all of that is coming up to the surface and it there's just this sense of I mean control to the degree that yes you know you have to take some action whatever that looks like for you for some people it's very much there and you can see what it is for other it's this kind of this quiet action but nevertheless action but that there's so much introspection going on as well that for me personally I feel like you know, as you said, you want to sort of gather your, your thoughts and just, and there's so much going on internally that you feel like you, you know, everything is so cloudy and you want to speak with clarity amidst this kind of, you know, tumultuous feeling of just like no control. And yet it's, 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 it, it feels like for the first time in a long time, we are at the cusp of change. As I said to you before we started recording, that this is absolutely something that we are, you know, talking about now here on this on this podcast. I guess it's the I guess it's the first public conversation I guess um I've had about it. But also and originally we had talked about, you know, getting you on here again because I wanted to talk about, you know, all of the amazing work that you have done and are doing. And then, you know, again, before we pressed, we pressed record, we were like, we still have to record that. But when will that be? Because, again, everything is, is, is so uncertain. But that is also where change takes place, isn't it? It's, it's this, it almost feels like, you know what, I saw, I saw the, um, on one of my social media rabbit hole journeys, I saw the hashtag give racism the red card. And now that feels so not empty 
And of course, it was absolutely right at the time. But this, this feels so very different. That almost felt like it was a, a, you know, a, a token nod to this is this is not right. This is our stance on it. Show racism the red card. And where we are now, it, it almost feels like you're standing on the ground, but it's, you know, there's like a volcano underneath. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's kind of like, there's, yeah, and there's, there's, there's so much to do on so many levels with so and for me one of the things and and I guess how I try to to work now even whether it's through this podcast is I believe in education through conversation and so it's important to me like you know uh, Bjorn my eldest and I we went on a march today a children's march and last night I was saying to him you know well you know I was explaining to him as a five-year-old that we're, we're going on a march tomorrow this is why we're we're going, and I didn't want to sugarcoat it necessarily, and I wanted to speak to him in a way, and I felt that he would understand. Um, and so yesterday, I said to him, "We're going on a march because um, a man died, and another man was the the cause of his death." And he said, "Well, you know, why why did the other man not help him?" And I said, "Well, the man who died, he unfortunately couldn't breathe very well." he asked the other man for help and he didn't give him that help. And so after a while he couldn't breathe anymore and, you know, he died. And so he had lots of questions around, you know, the man that didn't help. And so I guess that was my introduction to it. And then today before we went on the march, he had a placard and it said justice for George. And I told him who George was and I explained in a little more depth what happened to George and then I explained that George was was black. And then he asked, and I said, um, that you know, the man that didn't help him, he didn't like that George was black. And then he asked, you know, was the other man white? And I said, yes. And then he said, um, what did the other man do? What was his job? And I said, he was a policeman. And that was when the confusion, came. he was like, but I thought policemen were supposed to help people. And I said, well, you know, lots of policemen do and policewomen do. But um, or police officers, I should say, you know, but on this occasion, he didn't help him. And, and so he said, well, you know, what happened to him? And I said, well, I said, you know, he lost his job and he'll go to jail. You know, that, but I have to have that conversation with him. And then and then BJ and I this evening sort of and again, we're just sort of lightly talking about it. But we explained to him that, you know, Max, his his little brother has brown skin and people might see them differently because of the color of their skin. So, you know, it's kind of navigating that. And actually, I, I started making um, contributions to um, it's called The Conscious Kid. And that is, you know, and I think that's been that's been um, spoken about a lot on, on various social platforms. And, you know, they've got books, they've got ways to, you know, talk to children about race and all of those things. But again, for, for me, and for, for BJ, it's, it's, you know, the conversation starts at home with our children. And, you know, we've discussed our feelings, you know, with one another. And BJ has done some things that I've been, you know, in the past couple of days has done some things that I've been incredibly, incredibly proud of. And the same with with Bjorn, you know, today when we were marching and he understood why we were marching. And and so I was, yeah, I I feel emotional about it. I felt just incredibly, you know, proud of my my household in that moment in thinking that we were all part of a movement, a very important movement. 
and and they both have done so because it's been their feeling of what is right and what is wrong and it just yeah I just yeah I just felt incredibly incredibly proud today and and and, you know and yeah I guess because it came from their feeling of or values of what's right and wrong rather than them kind of feeling forced into anything like you know that they've they've made some natural decisions for them that that felt have felt really really good but also I guess one of the things that, that again we spoke about before we pressed record was you know, so, so so both of us had this feeling of when we were growing up that we were different, but it was sort of either their loss if they thought that way, or it wasn't really worth our energy to kind of fight back. And, I, and I, when I think about, you know, my, my direct experience, I think about my, my older brother and my, my older sister. And my older sister, we have the same father and different mothers, and her mother is black. She has worked in pretty big companies and has done phenomenally well. She's also gay as well. So ahead of me, I saw a gay black woman doing incredibly well. And to me, that sort of said, there are no barriers. You can go and do what you want to do. And then my my brother ahead of me, and I think I think that we know that it's very, very apparent for black men that they have really experienced a, a way, certainly a way greater level than, than I have experienced as a, as a mixed race person. It's a different experience and there's, there's no doubting that. And again, he has, you know, built a business. He's done incredibly well for himself. He's got, you know, he's got his own business. So, so, so my sister worked her way up in a company in several big companies did very very well, and then my brother, you know, built his own business and do it. So, so right in front of my eyes, I didn't see that there were limitations. Now, this is part of, of of my work that I have to do because that was just what I directly saw, and so I was like, okay, cool, that's great. I can I can do and be whatever and and whoever I want to be. But I haven't spoken to them as yet, and this is part of my work as to what that experience was like for them. Because effectively yeah. they paved the way for me to be able to do to do my work, and then so that's part of again that's those are the conversations that I have to have with them about what it was like for them. Because in my mind they made it very very easy for me, and so it's that realization of actually you know what you had it you had it pretty damn good because this whole idea that in order to be it you have to see it. Well, I they showed me the way. And so I feel like I'm able to do the work that I do because of that. And had all of what's happening right now not have happened, I could have remained very, you know, ignorant to what that experience is like for everybody else because it's not yeah. the same. No, exactly. And so, like I said, that, that there, there are conversations that I have to have with them and see what it's like, you know, or see what it was like and continues to be so, you know, for them. And I guess that brings us to the final piece around the fitness industry and what that looks like right now and what what that might look like moving forward. So what are your thoughts on that, Emma? I, I think back to my first dabble in, in sort of the London fitness scene was when all the kind of boutique gyms were popping up. So I just left university and was about, well, early 20s, as you know, was a 
was a bit of a cardio bunny, to put it politely, but fell into the overtraining portal a little bit. But my first avenue was to try all these classes, all these hit classes at these different studios that were popping up and, and many that people know. And I think I went to, to obviously experience it. But thinking about back then, all of the instructors, pretty much all of the instructors were not people of colour. If there was, there was maybe one or two. And if they were, they were probably mixed race. When I look back now at certain boutiques, there, there wasn't any people of colour at all. And that was my first kind of thought like, oh, OK, this is, this is interesting. And then where I was living at the time, if I went into the local gym, which kind of was your, what should you call it, kind of your, your iron heavy sticky floors kind of gyms, you know, the, the, the classic ones that are in communities and just great spaces to, to train and, yeah. and be with, with a lot of people in. That's where I would then see kind of more, more trainers of colour and things like that. And I think mm. even at that point, my perception was like, okay, so at these boutique, the places where people are paying more and, and, and willing to mm. have that expendable income, there's a lot less people of colour. So I think without me even realising, I was learning from, from early on that, you know what, to be in the space of the, the boutique world, you had to either be really, really good or you had to just, yeah, not, not really be a person of colour. And it sounds silly for me to say that, but it was the perception that that, that put forward by seeing it. And then, I say, as the, as the social world began to grow and as we spoke about before, you get invited to certain events and, and you look around and you're like, oh, interesting, I got invited to this event. And then you look around the event and you're like, no one else looks mm. like me. Do they really want me here? Or am I kind of like a token to tick the box because you know you need at least one person? And it's definitely something that I'd experienced not only in the fitness world, but when I did a little bit of um, some kind of shooting and casting for different brands and you turn up to casting days and there wouldn't be any people of colour or, or any real diversity and certain sporting brands would go down the route of, ah, oh, yes, that'll work. And then their front covers of billboards and things would be the blonde-haired, blue-eyed white person. As I said, it's almost like I definitely was aware of it back then, for sure. Mm. But now I look back even more so, I'm like, wow, okay, that, that really was like that. But I do know that amongst my, my group of friends in the fitness industry, like there's, there's so many amazing people, people of colour who are, who are trainers, who are inspiring groups of people, who are working in local communities, which is one of the most important things within fitness, as you know. And I think making those people have a voice and shouting about them is so important. And if, if everything that's happened the last few days means that that happens more, yes, okay, it's, yeah. it's not ideal if people are dropping into our inboxes the day after, which has definitely been happening to me, being yeah. like, oh, we'd love you to do this or love you to do that. And I'm like, Oh, would you now? What, what, why, why is that happening? Hmm. I appreciate it, but you know, it's, it's come on, give it, give it a little bit of time. And that is a massive positive, don't get me wrong, but if that means that yeah. moving forwards, and as we said, it is difficult to know what the landscape's going to look like, but if that means that, you know what, there's equal representation, we see people on the front of magazines of all colour, races, mm. different, like, that would be so good. And I think it's just 
hopefully moving forward, one, we're not afraid to have the conversations and we're empathetic to people who may get it wrong or may say something different, then yeah. then great. That that's that's gonna be the massive positive from this. But yeah, my, my experience early stages in the fitness industry is it's a I hate to say it, it's a very a very white industry. I mean, I well, how about yourself? How have you? Yeah, I think I think for me with fitness, I think the one thing you know that stuck out for me and and now is you know very much a part of my work was that in terms of certainly education it was a, a fairly male, not even a fairly male dominated space. It was a male dominated space. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you've got the kind of old, oh, you know, the weight room is, 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 you know, where all the men are and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, women were sort of scared to go and lift weights in the men's area and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. and, and that side never really, it, you know, it's something that I was aware that, that women felt, but because I sort of, always you know trained in the weights room and and was kind of feeling good about what I was doing or whatever and felt competent at lifting and all that kind of stuff it just wasn't something that crossed my mind and but I was was very mindful that in terms of like I said the educators or you know those that that were yeah kind of writing articles or whatever on fitness that was a fairly kind of male-dominated space and then and then actually um two things happened where I felt that I was as accomplished if not more than to men that that got jobs ahead of me and that was the point at which I was just like right what am I doing wrong here because I think I probably should have gone for that or I should have gotten that and that was when I started to realize that I have to work twice as hard as a woman in the fitness industry to be considered equal or whatever and then I remember having a a conversation with Chloe Wiley who she was on this podcast um, maybe just about a month ago and you know she she had that same experience and she's a a phenomenal coach and you know runs a a great fitness business and but she was like yep it's hard like as a woman in fact I, I remember what she said she said you know being a woman in the fitness industry is like being black twice and like how you know, like, you yeah, know, wow. you're one month on yeah. and it's kind of like, yeah, That's you know, so I, can, I can see so the, and so, and so that really, really formed a lot of the, the work that I do now in terms of the Women in Fitness Summit um, and also in terms of the mentorship and all that kind of stuff. But now, you know, with, with where we are now, it feels like there's now so much more work to do. Um, and so where I was, you know, fighting the fight for for women in the fitness industry now you know I will I will keep fighting that fight but there are 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 several other fights within that and so much I guess of of what I try to do is is to give women a voice I suppose and so I I really have to yeah you know again it's 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 a huge amount of self-reflection and look at what what does that look like in my work moving forward like I said I had my brother and sister ahead of me and I was damn lucky that they showed me the way or they certainly paved the way for me to 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 feel like there were going to be no barriers to me being able to do what I do and the first one that I felt like I hit was being a woman in the industry not quite being heard 
ahead of the men. And then and, and also, interestingly, I felt like a, a, a while back, did I have to change that narrative? Because that was the thing that kind of, you know, drived me to do that work um, or drove me to do that work. Sorry. But I'm here now and I can feel that change happening in terms of women in the fitness industry. And so I was kind of like, I need to let go of this old narrative of, ah, I didn't get that job and this guy got it and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, actually, no, no. Again, it's, it's, it's stripping everything back and, and, and looking what that looks like. And, and, I, and I think it's looking directly at what your contribution can be and what that looks like and how that will pan out. Because I guess we're so now very aware of these amazing activists in in the space. One thing that I've really noticed is so many people are, are saying, I'm not an activist, this is what I do. But right now, everybody is is kind of working on different levels of activism. Yeah. And I guess it's then how much they take of that and put it into their work. Because I think it's fair to say everybody will, well, for those who, who want to, and I feel like a lot of people do have to take some of that into their, into their work or into their sphere of influence and, and, and use that. And it's navigating what that looks like. And, and also because it's going to take such a long time and it's absolutely, you know, not going to happen overnight. And I think that there will be a lot more pain and discomfort before there is change and that in what is already an unsettling time feels good but very unsettling yeah definitely definitely again the going back to normal in inverted commas like that's going to be normal with 10 children in a in a classroom is is not normal that in itself isn't isn't going to be just what is it all going to look like and it's it's in a way, it's very exciting, and we are. Abs- it feels like we are absolute. We are absolutely a part of history right now. Like who's? I thought twenty. I thought twenty nineteen. I was like, I am so exhausted in twenty nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> I am so ready to slay oh, in twenty twenty. We did it though. And twenty twenty just came was like, sorry, what now? Yeah. And just when you thought that you were riding this like lockdown wave and anticipating what life was going to look like on the other side. Like it's just, yeah. And, and, and needed. Definitely needed. It's questioning so many people to their very core. And that is what is necessary for change. And and maybe I'm being completely naive and, and, and hopeful, but I, I do feel like change will, will take place. You know, because then it's kind of like, well, if this doesn't do it, then then actually it, we need to then just suppress everything back. And because that's just the way it is, like, it, it, you know, it has to change. But um, yeah, I think she, sorry, my, my digression to what normal was going to look like. Um, I was going to talk about, you know, being on, you know, panels and stuff like, you know, I've often thought, you know, am I on this panel for what I know or I'm on this panel because I am of colour and yep. um Everyone else is not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's going to be the bit in between, isn't it? Because mm. I, I guess once, once the I don't want to say hype that really just downplays exactly what's going on, but but yeah. once there is less on social media, 
than there is right now. And if people are just kind of standing up and saying things because it's what is the thing to do right now, I think we will then be left with, right, who actually is going, who actually is part of this change and who actually wants to move this forward. Um, but I think yeah. we will be in like this, this huge kind of interim period of, of are you just doing that now because of, you know, everything that happened in like yeah. May and June, you know, like, yeah, or, exactly. and, and I think, I think everyone's going to have to be, I guess, forgiving around that. And yeah, people are going to make mistakes. And, but it, it's, I think it, it's, it's a joint learning, isn't it? Everyone's going to have to really, you know, learn to work together. Cause I, I literally, I thought I didn't know what, what this time next year was going to look like, it, you know, in the depths of lockdown. And now yep. I really don't know. And, and yeah. I, I, yeah, I like a plan, Emma. Like, I, I like know to you know. Do. You like a mind map, a plan, a, a whole I whole like layout. to know <laughs> what is going down. And, yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that, in a way, for me, lockdown did not enforce the, the slowing down that it may have for other people. You know, we've got the two boys, we're working – and so it didn't. It didn't sort of bring bring that slow. I mean, yes, we don't didn't, we don't have an alarm in the morning. I mean, they are the alarm. But I think now it's it has actually brought a slowing down because of the level of introspection that's required in order to think about those those small steps to take in yeah. moving forward. And so it definitely has slowed down in, in that respect. And even some plans I had sort of for September, I'm kind of like, yeah, no, I'm probably not going to do that now. <laughs> I yeah. need to change that. And it is, it's, it's but I, I think for me personally, it, it will be lots of conversations, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots, seeing what that, what, what do you feel like things will be like in, in a year's time or? I think, as you said, it's it's difficult to know where the conversation's gonna go. I think my my rational brain goes if it comes from the top, so when I say the top I mean big brands, I mean top government, I mean people with a voice who have power. I think if they make a standpoint or make a change or we see a different change in direction from a brand or something like that, something bold and out there, people go oh, wow, they did that, and look at what that brought them. Almost like when Nike put all the um, different size models in the window and that blew up everywhere and everyone was like, of course, that's what we should always have seen. So I think it, it, that sort of thing needs to happen by a big brand who's going to make a stand. And I think that will then pave the way for the rest of society to change. Because, yes, as you said, at a micro level, Yes, at the moment, we're seeing it daily, people saying X, Y, and Z, and this is what I think on social, but give it two weeks, a month, when everyone's read the books and, and done the work, what, happen, what, what happens then? And you're right, that's where it's not known. So I think it's difficult to say, and as you said, with, with COVID-19 and the whole situation, what is a gym space going to look like at the end of the year? Kind of, as I said, i I teach classes, right? Are my classes now going to be capped? Are they going to be cut in half? Are they even going to take place? How is that going to look? And I think 
that uncertainty chucked in with everything going on. Obviously, yes, it happens in the UK, we know, but predominantly in the States as well, and how that's then going to affect political relationships, government, how the next government's brought in. There's so many layers to it that, as you said, you, you kind of wish that they kind of put a mind map down and just sort of, you know, draw out some sort of plans, like just sit down and go, right, this is what we need to do. This is where I'm thinking. And then maybe things would just be a bit better. Maybe they should take a leaf out of your book. Do you know what? I have to confess that since lockdown, my mind mapping skills have failed me. I've been a bit more oh, of a no. list maker. I haven't felt the freedom of of, of mind maps. Uh, and maybe that's because there's a level of, um, I suppose, out of control with them. And we're already in this like you know, <laughs> out of control way of living right now. So I'm kind of like, oh, I'll just give myself a little bit more order with a list. <laughs> and so everything that I've I've done more recently has been has been lists so yeah. somehow that's some kind of I guess I don't know I don't know what that means but I've, I've been definitely more of a list maker than I have a mind map like my now <laughs> when people say when list makers say to me I'm mind maps I just don't get it now I'm like yeah I totally get what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> so for me normal in inverted commas is when I'm going to be able to go back to mind mapping but right now I'm all about lists yeah but um yeah I mean here we are in a way, and I've spoken to a few people about this, it's an incredibly exciting place to be as well, because um, I, Definitely. again, like I do feel like, you know, we are, we are a part of, of history and every action that we take, you know, right now, big or small. And I know that some people are taking some big actions and I know that some people are taking some small considered actions. And I think it's all of those in, in all of their varying ways are are you know going to collectively move forward in in the right direction I would be incredibly disappointed if it felt like in a year's time that nothing had changed but I genuinely do believe that things will change I, I just feel like it's yeah they just can't not but it you can't know, not, I'm, I'm no. an optimist so you know who knows but it will just, you know, it would be interesting to continue to have these conversations over the coming weeks. And, and, and you know, and like I said, I don't want to, you know, water it down by saying when the hype dies down. But, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. And I think that is um, and, I, and I think it's absolutely important to keep the conversation going online at the moment in social media because of lockdown. Everyone is on their phones. That's where they're getting their exactly. information. And so it's so important to keep the conversation going. But when that does die down, what does that look like? And and also how many other groups will be formed from it in terms of moving things forward? You know, there are so many different, you know, talks happening online, um, which I think are great, which people can tap into. There have been books that have been recommended, films that have been recommended, you know, pieces of, you know, research. And, and it's all for us to consume and um become better educated and try and you know kind of find solutions to move forward with but it, it feels very much like you know watch this space but how long for who knows we could be yeah, sitting exactly. here for a while to see what it looks like but it's almost like it looks like it will be a five-year sort of well two-year five-year ten-year thing looking back and going okay this is what that looks like now and it's huge hugely transitional but yeah it's uh it is. It feels very special to be a part of it. It feels very special to, um, for my children to be a part of it as well, because obviously, yeah. you know, this is the, 
this is what we're leaving them with. Hopefully they can they can see that and what's happening. And Max is probably too young, but you know, hopefully the world's a little bit different for him too, um, in terms oh, of his experience. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, oh, Emma, I long for when we can have our other recording (laughs) because I don't know when that will be, but I feel like there will have been some kind of shift, change, um, level of comfort with going back to, yeah, exactly, and, and, and not forgetting about what's happened, but actually, you know, again, like, you know, things are in process. But so I look forward to that and I feel like I'm going to, you know, be like, here we are. <laughs> it <Yeah>. took <laughs> a deep amount of time. <laughs> and please God, then it not be like, Emma, I cannot believe it's two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that feels like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, but right now it, it's, it's, um, it's very much unknown. So I guess, yeah, all we can do is, is, is live it and be in it and, and then, you know, um, go from there, really. Definitely. Totally agree. So, Emma, thank you so much, my love. Uh, thanks for having me. No, you're welcome. I will. I feel like I actually, usually my guests speak more than me, but I feel like I've been quite <laughs> vocal today. <laughs> but this is, again, this is the first time just having sort of like an open, um, open conversation. conversation. Yeah. yeah, so we're right, right. No, it's been great. Up, but that's been okay. great. But thank you so much, and you know, let let let's see where we are. And uh, I very much look forward to to um, the second recording too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my love. You take care. Thanks. Lots of love. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.